So, yeah, we're on Voices number six. And as we're going to talk about family issues, which no one ever has, right? So uh, none of you will probably be able to relate to that. But for the people that, you know, outside of here that have issues with family, maybe you could use this to help them. Uh, but we will uh, we'll talk about family of origin and family issues tonight. So let's ask God to be with us and to help us with that because we certainly need his help uh, as we uh, endeavor into voices number six. Let's pray. God, we bow before you tonight. And uh, God, we are grateful for your word. Uh, God, that left to our own. Uh, God, we would certainly mess things up. We've definitely done that. And uh, God, as we deal with humans, uh, God, we often run into issues that are difficult to navigate through. And, Lord, we need your wisdom and your discernment to, to know the right thing to do and, uh, God, to fix the wrong things that we have done. And so, Lord, as we've listened uh, over the last several weeks of the different voices uh, in our lives, God, that uh, God try to steer us the wrong way or, God, the things that uh, in our life that may lead us, uh, Lord, away from what you have for us, Lord, we oftentimes find ourselves dealing with family issues. And uh, so tonight, God, we pray for wisdom. Uh, God, we pray for insight. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and help us to understand the things that you'd have in store for us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in part six, and so as we look at uh, the voices study, uh, you know, we're going to talk about family tonight. And so uh, we're going to talk about the issues that we deal with with family and the ways that we respond to those issues. And so hopefully some of this tonight uh, will be helpful as we, we go through this. And so I want you to think about your family, okay? I want you to think about the things that have happened in your life uh, that you grew up with. Some of you may say, well, you know, I really don't want to talk about that and we're going to address that. And some of you may say, well, uh, I did have some things that were not good. And uh, we've moved past that, and so we're going to kind of jump in and look at how we handle those situations and how we should handle those situations and uh, how we can move forward from them. But what you often see is you and I often repeat patterns, uh, the same patterns really, of the types of behavior that we grew up in. So if you think about uh, maybe a mannerism, an attitude, a behavior pattern uh, that you have in your life, uh, it's likely that you are mimicking or you're mirroring uh, someone that you saw in your life, someone that has uh, done the same thing uh, that you saw growing up. Maybe, maybe you live on the same street as your parents right now. Maybe you work at the same place that your parents worked. Uh, oftentimes we, we get in this groove of life and we begin to do the same things. And so the, their patterns their, or their behavioral issues that we begin uh, to replicate or to repeat. And so what we're trying to do is we're attempting to recreate in our own mind our own version. And so, you know, if it was a good experience in your life uh, growing up, then you say, well, if I do the same things, then I'll get the same result. Or the same applies if you say, well, I had a bad experience growing up. My childhood was not uh, what I wished it would have been or what I thought it could have been. And so then what we do is we try to recreate it and impose uh, these expectations on what we think family should be like. Now, one of the biggest issues, and maybe we could have included this in our expectations uh, part of Voices, is that the biggest struggle that families deal with as far as conflict is concerned, is expectations. Is that you have expectations for them, 
and they have expectations for you. And so what happens is often there's an impasse with those expectations, and someone is not meeting someone else's expectations. And in most situations, they're unhealthy expectations. So we're going to explore some of that tonight. And so uh, we see that happen, and so then the way we respond to it then is one of two ways. If it was good, then we say, well, I'm going to repeat it. If it was bad, then what we tend to say is, okay, well, it was bad, and it wasn't the way that it should have been, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hyperact or overreact in the lives of my children. And so if my uh, parents were not loving, then I'm going to be overly loving. Or if my parents weren't protective, I'm going to be overly protective. Or if my parents weren't giving, I'm going to be overly giving. And so uh, we always take it to an extreme oftentimes in those situations. And so uh, we tend to either distance ourselves completely from our upbringing or try to recreate or to rehash those things. Now, what causes that is our family of origin. And so we're going to spend some time here at the beginning just uh, exploring what does family of origin mean and, and what does that look like for us. So our family of origin simply refers to the family that you and I grew up in. This is not, uh, for some people, this is not your biological family. So your family of origin is who actually raised you. So if you grew up with grandparents, then that's your family of origin. Uh, if you were adopted, then that's your family of origin. And so this is not uh, your biological family per se, but this is who you were raised by. This is who you grew up in. Because our family of origin is going to determine a lot of the ways in which we respond. And so this may answer some questions for you tonight, uh, but it, it, it typically... Uh, answers the questions of why we respond to things the way that we do. You see, it's not only your initial circle of dependence for everything, but it's also your basis for development. You know, as a child, you don't have any say-so, right? You don't have any opinion as to uh, what you should do or how you should do it or when you should do it or how you should respond or what the rules are. You have no say-so in that whatsoever. And so you're completely and totally dependent upon your family of origin to build the basis for that and, you know, in hopes that those are going to be good and healthy and productive in your life. And so it begins to develop the things in our life uh, that, we will be, that will become foundational in how we act uh, it will become foundational in how we respond. A lot of our behavioral patterns uh, are, are bought from that. And it also becomes our basis for normal, right? If we, uh, you know, if we do things that may sound a little strange to other people, uh, for us, oftentimes, it seems normal, right? One of the things that we learn through foster care is that not every parent parents the way that we parent. Right? And so that was, that was instructive for us, uh, for Melanie and I as parents to say, okay, well, we can't impose our expectations on uh, the parents of these children that we're fostering. We have to foster them in the time that we have and the opportunity that we have based on the way that we feel God has called us to do. But I can't impose, you know, I can't say, oh, well, you know, they can't do that or they shouldn't do that. I don't make the rules for that, right? So my job is just to parent the way uh, that I have the opportunity to do that. But it is a basis for normal. Uh, if Ricky's not in here, I was hoping he would be, uh, but there's a story that Ricky tells, and uh, Aaron's in here, his son, uh, but Ricky, you know, he does some crazy things sometimes, and if you hang around, you know, Ricky wrestles alligators, and uh, he, you know, he tents in bear country, and don't ever go anywhere with Ricky, let's just say that, all right, let's just, just, let me just keep you safe, 
don't ever go anywhere. So one time Ricky's truck caught on fire. And he's on the side of the road, and I'm giving you the abbreviated story. And so Ricky decides, I should just drive my truck home while it's on fire. Now, none of us would have said, hey, that's a great idea. I should do that. Right? Nobody would say that. But Ricky thought, this is a fantastic idea. So he gets Aaron to stand in the bed of his truck over the cab and direct him as he's driving home an inflamed vehicle. Okay? So he's driving this vehicle home. Aaron's on in the back. He's, you know, patting on the cab, you know, Dad, turn right. And so he pulls up. So Ricky said he called his neighbor and said, Hey, I'm coming home. My truck's on fire. Get the water hose out. Again, nothing any of us would ever do, right? And so Tony made the comment. He said, I really need to talk to Aaron about this. And uh, so I said, yeah. He said, I need Aaron to know this is not normal. (laughs) So I'm just saying, if you want to hear a good story, talk to Ricky. Just don't go anywhere with him, all right? Uh, But yeah, and so we, you know, I joke about that. But we have all these basis for normal, right? And it's all established by the things that we experience as children. So if your dad said, son, get in the back of the truck. I'm about to drive this inflamed vehicle home. If you're Aaron, you're like, okay, dad, I'll do that. But if you're me, you're like, I got a few questions about this. How's this going to end? But, you know, Aaron's wrestled gators with his dad, so it's not abnormal. And so we establish this basis of normal in our life. And when we do, then when we encounter something that is Healthy, if, if our normal is unhealthy, or if we establish some, or if we encounter something that's different, we have a difficult time often uh, trying to figure out, well, how does this new normal mesh with my old normal, if you will? And so we're going to talk about a couple of those things here tonight. You know, uh, one of the things, you know, growing up, uh, people are very quiet. You know, some people are very quiet. Some people yell a lot. And so, you know, if, uh, if you're in the country, you may speak louder than if you live in the city, you know, because you got neighbors. And so, you know, the normal for you can be so many different things. And so as we began to think about this, uh, essentially what happens is your habits and your feelings uh, and your relational beliefs are established from this foundational framework. I was having a conversation with a friend a few weeks ago, and, and we were talking about how how we dealt with conflict as children. And he made the comment that, you know, uh, my parents always taught me that if you don't get along with somebody, just stay away from them. And that became the basis for the relational uh, aspect of their life. And so uh, it, it, you know, grew into adulthood. And, and so, you know, God redirected that and, and helped them to figure out, you know, what's healthy in that situation. Uh, but that's a perfect example of how oftentimes in our life we're taught things or we hear things as children and they become beliefs. And so relationally then we impose those in adulthood on other adults that we encounter and that we deal with, and then we turn around and we reflect it back into the family that we grew up in. And so a lot of this has uh, so much to do with our uh, emotional development and certainly with our spiritual development. So, you know, with your habits and the feelings that were established, this is where you learned how to or how not to relate to other people, uh, how to handle confrontation, or how not to handle confrontation. You know, what's, what's most common with confrontation is people sweep it under the rug uh, and they don't deal with it. Or how to deal with difficulties. You know, what do you do when you don't get your way? How do you handle that? And so, you know, there's a lot of adults that don't know how to respond when they don't get their way. And so, all of that was built on 
either you intentionally learning it, someone teaching you that, or you inherently learning that. So in other words, it was just responsive and you uh, reacted to the moment and that became part of your development. And so during these early years of our lives, we were all subject to the attitudes and the habits of our family of origin. Okay, right, wrong, or indifferent, that began to establish our relational belief system. And we were essentially powerless to do anything about it. So, you know, the good, the bad, the dysfunctional, all of that came flying at us as children, and we had no way of doing anything about it. We couldn't say, you know what, Mom, or you know what, Dad, um, that's actually unhealthy, and you should stop doing that. You know, we didn't have the... We didn't have the authority to do that, nor did we have the discernment to do that. Children just, they don't, they don't have the ability to know that. And so we, you know, again, just were basically subjected to that. And so we end up going a couple of different directions. And so for the rest of tonight, we're going to talk about really one of two directions that most people go, and then we'll land on a third one here at the very end. So uh, you often see people move in a couple different directions based on how they were raised. The first one is that they are completely independent, that they become uh, totally and uh, 100% isolated or independent from their family of origin. Now, culturally, this is going to be a lot more difficult for us to understand in the South because what happens in the South is you are born, you're raised, you grow up, you stay in the same town, you live on the same street, you work at the same place, you eat Sunday lunch with mom and dad or whatever. And that culturally, that's just how our society is in the South. Now, if you get outside of the South, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, you know, in a lot of areas, we were talking about this earlier this week, in a lot of areas of the country, I, I've got friends in other areas of the country that, you know, they turned 18, boom, they're gone. They moved out, they packed their bags, you know, and they moved away. They didn't just move to their house, you know, down the street. They moved to another state. And that's, that's common. Uh, northeast, it's common. A lot of times you see that in the Midwest area. Uh, culturally, that tends to happen. And this, this, uh, this tendency to be isolated or to be independent, it's a rite of passage, if you will. And so for us as Southerners, this independence can be good sometimes, uh, but it can also be bad. You see, this is where you completely detach from anything that happened in your childhood. And so it's, you tuck it away, it's something that you say, okay, it happened, uh, it was, you know, typically it's bad when you do this, but you, you tuck it away and you say, I don't want to talk about it, uh, the memories are never to be spoken of, and you do your very best not to think about it. So if you think about this, there's a lot of people in your life that are this way, and here's how you know, is they, you don't know anything about their family. They never talk about their family. You don't know who their parents are, how many brothers or sisters they have, um, you don't know what their parents did for a living. Uh, you don't know anything about their grandparents. They don't talk about family. And so someone who is completely independent oftentimes will try to store that away or tuck that away. Maybe, maybe there was abuse in their childhood. Uh, that, that is pretty common in those situations. Maybe uh, there was a very unstable childhood. And so they say, well, I, you know, I moved forward. You know, I moved out of that. And so I don't want to go back and rehash some of those memories. And so they lock that part of their life away. And so what the enemy does in this situation is the enemy will try to use this to cause you to compare yourself to those who grew up in Mayberry. 
And so what you'll do is you'll say, well, you know, I didn't have the childhood that they had. I, my parents didn't, you know, come to my school plays, or they weren't at my sporting events, or they didn't treat me that way, or, you know, fill in the blank. But then you've got, you know, Johnny over here, and his parents always did this, and his parents always bought this, or did this, or showed up support, or whatever. And so there's this comparison game. And, and when there's this complete independence side, we, it's because we played the comparison game. That we say, well, because, you know, uh, this person, little Johnny's child, was way better than mine, so I'm not going to use any illustrations or stories from my childhood because his are always going to win. And so we, we tuck it away. And so what happens is we never deal with the issues in which we experience as children. We're quiet about the things that really hurt. And so a lot of times you, you may see people that uh, experience counseling issues with that. And so they, they need some help to talk through uh, some of the hurts or some of the issues. Maybe they have friends that, you know, they, God ends up bringing to their life that they're able to work through some of those issues. But they, they basically lock away everything that happened in their childhood and they tuck it away. Now, that's not healthy, even if it was bad, because you've got to deal with, you've got to work through those issues, whether they're relational beliefs, maybe there's hurts that uh, you've got to get past in order for you to become who God wants you to be. Now, what happens is then we tie that pain or that abuse or, or whatever it may be, we tie that to family. And so the person who did it, certainly, uh, you know, if it's you know, someone who injured you either verbally or emotionally or maybe even physically, uh, we, we tie everything to the entire family, to that one event or to that one situation. And we say, well, because my uncle or my father or you know, my mother did this, I'm not going to have anything to do with family. You see, family knows us the best, right? They know us the most. They know the things that we like, but they also know the things that we don't like. And it's easy for family to really push buttons, right? Because it's the people that you would expect that would love you the most, but then it's oftentimes the people that hurt us the most. Wouldn't you agree with that? And so when we struggle with the family issue, uh, what we, gener we generally do is we generalize the pain that was caused by an individual and we apply it to everyone. You see, some people in your family are family by blood, but they're not your family. They may not be for you. And so there's definitely people that you've got to isolate, you've got to distance yourself from, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so in other words, you can't say just because you're family, you have permission to injure me. And this is what you often see, uh, oftentimes, this is very common, is that you'll have a situation to where uh, uh, something will happen. You know, typically you'll have uh, a, an expectation and in that expectation, it becomes not met. And so then the family card will be pulled. And they say, well, you have to do this. We're family. Or, you know, I know, I, you know they'll never deal with the issue. And so instead of dealing with the issue, they'll pull the family card. But you know I love you, right? And so oftentimes that happens. And it's never, the hurt is never dealt with. Uh, the issue or the offense is never addressed. And it's because the family card is pulled. Well, unfortunately, as much as that we would desire it, uh, not everybody in your family is for you. I mean, it's just how it is. I know it's kind of quiet in the room right now because this is, this is true. And so what we have to do is we have to figure out, okay, well, what does this mean? 
How, how do I work through this? And we're going to talk to, about some of the common verses that we see that are used in Scripture about this. And so as we think about this family issue, uh, attachment by blood is not a contract. So in other words, this is what I mean by that. If someone is injuring you emotionally or if someone is abusing you emotionally or mentally uh, or someone is uh, using, is, is an unhealthy relationship, let's just say that, just because their family doesn't give them the right to continue to do that. Okay, so if you've got somebody in your life that is family, you know, wh- whatever course of family they may be, that does not give them permission to injure you. But oftentimes what happens is because they're family, we either allow more pain to be given to us or uh, what we do is they will use the family card to be able to continue to stay around to do that. Does that make sense? Now, I know all of us have stories of that. Some of you have shared those stories with me of some of the things that you've experienced. And so there's all been situations uh, that we've dealt with that. And the biggest issue that people struggle with, I believe, in this area is forgiveness. Because what happens is the enemy says, well, you have to forgive them. And the enemy will tie uh, uh, access to forgiveness. And so the enemy will say, well, you have to forgive them. And you have to give them access to your life because they're family. And so what we do is, again, quote, because they're family, we allow them back into our life, and we know as believers that it's our responsibility to forgive, right? And so we want to forgive the offense because we're commanded to by Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we have to give them access back into our life to be able to injure us again. You can forgive someone and still not let the evil back into your life. That's possible. You have permission to do that. God doesn't want you to continually, listen, uh, you know, there's, God doesn't want you to continually allow someone into your life that is uh, continually injuring you and using the guilt card or the family card, and we'll talk about a couple of other things that they'll use in your life to injure you. God doesn't want that for your life. That is not God's plan for family, and that is not God's plan for your life. And so don't allow the guilt of, I have to forgive them. Yes, you do. You absolutely, the Bible says that we have to forgive. We're commanded to do that. But that doesn't mean that you can allow them, again, access back into your life. It is not a contract. Because if we think about this, the reality is that uh, family, that you know, blood, uh, blood kin, if you will, that ought to be more of a reason for you to be kind to me. Right? It shouldn't be more of a reason for you to be mean to me. It shouldn't be more of a reason for you to injure me. Now, you know, we're talking family of origin here, and and certainly uh, this applies also to the family of God. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ and as uh, a family in this body of believers, that a lot of this same stuff still applies. That just because we go to church with each other doesn't mean that you have permission to injure somebody, right? Just because we're Christians and and we're followers of Jesus and that we believe in mercy and grace doesn't mean that I get a free card to injure you. That's not what that means. And so as we talk about uh, this issue of being uh, kin to someone by blood relation, they should be nicer to you than someone who's not kin to you. Doesn't that make sense? But it's often the opposite, uh, and through guilt we allow that to come in. It is not permission to be cruel It should be uh, the obligation to be nice. Now, the same thing applies for us, that, you know, if we're akin to someone, uh, you know, as believers, that we're instructed to be 
kind, right? To show the kindness of Jesus. We actually talked about that in D group tonight. So you can forgive. You don't have to let uh, the evil back into your life. You see, the worst part is when the family card is used. And so, well, I'm family, and so we don't have to deal with that because you know I love you. You know, that's, that card has been played a thousand times. And so I want to give you an illustration. So this is not in your handout, but if you want to write down, in Genesis chapter 16, in Genesis chapter 16, we see a situation very similar to this. So in Genesis chapter 16, you know the story, uh, Sarah couldn't have children, so God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have kids. Well, they got impatient, and they decided, yeah, we're going to have kids, and we're going to make sure we have kids. And so they sent Hagar in, and Hagar had a child by Abraham. You know the story. And so there arose all this tension, right? All this tension obviously arose in the situation. And Sarah now is jealous of Hagar, and she's upset about what happened. And so basically she says, you're going to have to get out of here. This is not working out. And so we pick up in verse 3. It says uh, Abraham had lived 10 years in Canaan. And, you know, it talks about Hagar. Sarah told Abram, here's what you should do. Uh, And so it says in verse, uh, the bottom part of verse 6, it says Sarah dealt harshly with her, which is Hagar, and she fled. Okay, so Hagar's out. She left. It says, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of uh, Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? So she says, you know, look, here's what happened. It didn't work out very well. Uh, Sarah dealt harshly with me, and now here I am basically exiled. So the angel of the Lord said to her in verse 10, I will surely multiply your offspring so they cannot be numbered for the multitude. And the angel said to her, Behold, uh, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And so she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing, verse 13. So here's this family situation. Hagar runs off. So, you know, her and Sarah get into this confrontation she runs off God sends an angel and he says I see you El Roy the God who sees that's how that's written in Hebrew says truly here I have seen him who looks after me is what Hagar said and so I want you to know in this situation that if you've been injured by someone in your family and you're you're choosing you're working through you want to give forgiveness I want you to know tonight that God sees you And God knows the pain that you have carried. And I want you to know that nothing is wasted in the kingdom. Family baggage can be so painful. And you can carry family baggage to where it can be detrimental in your spiritual growth. And so oftentimes it may feel like that we're going through these situations. And again, those people are present in our life and they injure us. And oftentimes we don't feel seen. In those situations, we, you know, in the quietness of our own heart and the darkness of our own house, oftentimes we feel that it's dark and that we're isolated and that we are alone. But that is not the way that God works. And so I just want to encourage you that uh, what the enemy means for evil, whether there be uh, damage in your life or there be abuse emotionally or mentally or even physically, that God can redeem that. Okay, God can use that for his glory and for your good. And so as we deal with that, what happens is many people attempt to spend the rest of their lives to try to gain approval. 
And so it's the oddest thing that the people that abuse you, then you keep going back and you keep saying, well, what if I do it this way? Well, will you like me then? Or what if I do it that way? And so there's this continual pattern of trying to gain approval. And so it's to try to recreate certain memories or we may try to rehash certain uh, patterns of behavior to try to gain approval. So, you know, if it's, you know, maybe you weren't the favorite or maybe uh, you dealt with situations, uh, you know, to where someone... Uh, injured you emotionally or mentally. Uh, And so what happens is we try to go back and we try to rewrite the script. Well, that never works. Have you ever tried that? I mean, you you try to go back and do it a different way or you do it a new way because you want them to like you, right? They're family and I I want my mom's approval or I want my dad's approval. And so we just continually go back and we try new thing after new thing after new thing and it never works in unhealthy situations, ever. So what do we do? Well, we need to embrace the reality of where we are, not where we came from. You see, I think this could be very liberating because if you understand, okay, here's where I'm at, okay, this is where God has me. I can't change the past, right? That's already been written. I can't go back and make it better even if I want to or change what I said or whatever, what they said, whatever the circumstances may be. But you can move forward from that. And so you can't allow the past to hinder your future. And so just embrace the reality of where you are, not where you came from. And so in those unhealthy situations, there's two questions that I want, I want us to use as a basis for answering whether or not I should do that. The first question is this, what am I doing that is right and helpful? Because if you continue to repeat unhealthy behaviors and unhealthy patterns of behavior, you're going to get the same result. And so is what you're doing helpful? Is this going to lead to righteousness? Is this going to lead to reconciliation? Is it right? Or is it going to lead to the same thing, repetition? The second question is, is what am I doing here that is based on something that's incorrect, either a concept or a belief? Because as we grow into adulthood, what happens is we begin to what? We begin to be exposed to other adults that have grown up in different situations than we've grown up in. And then, just like we talked about earlier, we start to compare. And we realize there's some really crazy things that happen in my family, right? When, when you know, Aaron's grown up now and Aaron looks back and is like, Ricky really is crazy, right? There's, there's some things in my life that dad shouldn't have done. And then you compare that. And so God gives us a basis to say, okay, here's what healthy looks like. As we begin to study Scripture and we see unhealthy relationships that took place in Scripture, and then we see healthy relationships that took place in Scripture, we can say, okay, well, I was doing this all my life, but it was wrong. It was incorrect. And so I need to adjust that. I need to change that to the way that God wants me to do it. And so that is independence that we isolate and we push away, we try to suppress all of the things that happened in our life that were, you know, caused us to be injured or maybe we uh, dealt with an abuse issue, whatever it may have been, uh, we, we pack it away. Well, then number two, then instead of packing it all away, then a lot of people do this. Well, they go to the complete dependence side. The complete dependence side. Now, I would say this is probably the most southern of the two to where uh, it, it's a codependency issue. To where you, you stay dependent. You stay dependent. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, I think it's on your handout. 
It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right? 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 How many problems could be avoided if people just read that verse and say, oh, okay, so I'm supposed to grow up and get married and leave, right? How many situations could be better that way? But what happens is this codependency issue exists. And we say, well, I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to reap the benefits of this new relationship that God intended for me to have, but I'm also going to link it back to my family of origin, and I'm going to have both of them in dependence, not in dependence, but apart from, right? And so we want to do both of them. But that's not what Scripture says. It says, you shall leave your father and your mother and hold fast to your wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so here's the problem, that some people live in adulthood as though they are still children. They do. They never grew up. They're just 25-year-old men and women that are married to each other. That's why there's so many relational problems that we have in our world today is because people never grew up. you got to grow up. And that's where this dependence issue comes in. They live in constant dependence upon their family. Constant. Regardless, and here's the unhealthy side, regardless of behavior. So they know, if, you grow, if you're a part of this church family, you know what a healthy relationship looks like. And in dependence, uh, what often happens when people are dependent upon their family of origin in an unhealthy manner, that there is unhealthy uh, situations in that family of origin that they're not believers or maybe they're just indifferent or maybe they have uh, unhealthy expectations on the adult child and so but the adult child continues to go back and be dependent upon that relationship because they never graduated into adulthood and what happens in these dysfunctional families is they don't acknowledge that there are problems, that problems do exist. They don't talk about these issues, and they don't confront them. Why do they not confront them? This is so simple. The reason they don't confront them is because there's a mutually beneficial relationship present, right? Well, if, if we don't talk about the things that you said that offended me, then you won't get mad at me. Or if you do something that's wrong and I don't, you know, call you out for it, well, we can still benefit from each other in doing that. You can do things for me. I can do things for you. I'm going to overlook your shortcomings and you can overlook mine. And it becomes this relationship to where we're both doing things wrong. I'm not uh, obeying Scripture by going and, you know, becoming one with my spouse and then the family is not allowing you to do that, not encouraging you to do that. But they're also exhibiting unhealthy behaviors by overlooking the things that they do wrong. Right? God didn't, I mean, accountability exists for a reason. And this, this codependency is such a huge issue. And so what happens is, as a result of this, family members learn to repress emotions. So they don't deal with them. They don't deal with them. So here's the scenario. So uh, something happens and uh, you, uh, you, know, you offend someone or they offend you, okay? So what happens is there's just this moment of silence. 
This is how this happens all the time. There's this moment of silence. And you just stay away from them for a week or two. Or three or four weeks or a month or two, right? You just give a little time. And then what happens? Oh, well, you know, i got to go to Johnny's birthday party, so we're going to be around him. So we, we just, for the sake of Johnny, we're going to have to put that behind us. It happens all the time. Or it's Thanksgiving, and, you know, the kids really like to be around them. And so I, we're, we're just going to go, and, 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 and just this one time, we're, we're going to do this for the kids. And so we find all these reasons that we say, oh, well, you know, I, we got to go back. We gotta, we, we, let's just forget it happened, and let's just not deal with it. Or maybe they'll need something. Or what often happens in dependence is you need something. You need a babysitter. You need them to pick up something for you. You need help in something that they know about. And so what do you do? Well, I'm just going to look past it this one time. And that one time becomes 10 times, then it becomes 25 times. You see what I'm saying? And we just repress that. And we push it all away. And all the while, it all started when we never left. We never became one with our spouse. And so this is where people accept the idea that they're supposed to love their parents without question and thereby, therefore forgive them without dealing with any issues. Right? Uh, well, I'm your mom and, and, or I'm your dad. And so what happens in this situation is you adapt to what's called a survivor mentality. And you, you just learn to take all the blows and never deal with them because you, in some strange way, you benefit from that. You thrive off of that type of relationship. And so what we do is when people do this, they develop uh, behaviors that help them to deny or to ignore or to avoid difficult emotions. And so essentially you become callous to the things that are around you. Because you, you began to look over things. And then what happens? When you start to look over those uh, wrongdoings or unhealthy relationships, you start to not see them. And then that pattern starts to bleed into other areas of your life. Because if, if with my family of origin, I'm overlooking an unhealthy behavior, then I'm probably going to un- overlook that unhealthy behavior in your life as well. And so I'm going to start to attract relationships in my life that are unhealthy. Because if someone, and, and it, it, it really always happens the same way, if, if you will let me, if you'll be a punching bag in my life, people like that, right? And so you, you, have you ever asked yourself the question, why do I attract people that treat me the same way? That's why. Because you overlook the things that have happened to you because you try to deny them or to ignore them. And then you begin to avoid certain feelings. You begin to avoid certain feelings, difficult emotions. <clears throat> when there is uh, angst in the room, when there's animosity, right? A lot of people don't want to deal with animosity. And so if there's animosity in the room, what do they do? They avoid the topic by changing the subject, right? But shouldn't we be dealing with those issues? There's a way to do that. We, we, months ago, we had a message on dealing with confrontation. That's healthy, right? There's plenty of places in scripture uh, where God gives us examples of how we're supposed to deal with healthy confrontation. And so what dependent people tend to do is they stay in the relationship even if they are aware of all the hurtful things that have been done. They just let them keep doing it. Why is that? Again, remember, because there's a benefit present. They'll do anything to please and to satisfy no matter what the expense is to themselves. Now, you may say, what's wrong with overlooking? You know, I don't have to call out everything that's wrong in my life. You're right, you don't. 
You're absolutely right. God didn't make you uh, the fruit inspector, right? You're not the moral police. And, uh, and so what God called you to do is to pursue righteousness. What God called you to do is to grow in godliness, right? It's going to be very difficult for you to do that when you have that type of influence in your life. Th- this type of person that's very dependent, spiritual growth is very difficult for them because they're unable to have an objective viewpoint. They can't see things the right way because they skew their vision because of the benefit that comes from being dependent. And so they can't discern the patterns uh, that are dysfunctional and they need to let go. Because remember, they've suppressed them. They've, they've looked away. So it's very difficult. And, and that's a cycle. And so you'll never get out of that cycle because you're not doing anything to change it. You're not doing anything to grow out of that situation. And so independence... Uh, that becomes part of your life. And here's how you stay in this. This is what the enemy uses all the time. Guilt. Oh, you, you know, you can't keep the kids away. Oh, well, you know, the kids is one of the number one things that is used in, in those unhealthy scenarios is, well, you know, well, I'm their uncle or I'm their grandparent or I'm their, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And they say, well, you know, I, I, I want to do it for the kids. And so on the dependent side, uh, you know, well, you know, that is, you know, they are kin, so we have to do it. And so they go out and, and they'll subject themselves to that abuse only because of the contract of blood, right? That's what they think. Or they'll say, well, uh, guilt to be used against the dependent person. Well, look, you know I didn't mean that. Or you know I love you. Or look, I don't even want to talk about it. That was in the past. And so guilt is used with the family card to try to motivate you to do what they want you to do, and so people often do things for their family that if somebody else was looking in through the window, they would say, "You have a problem, right?" I mean, a lot of this really culturally, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but even our culture has changed how that happens. So it used to be that people built houses with big front porches that faced each other, so you could spend time with each other, right? But we changed that, and now we have these little narrow halls that you walk down that are brick, and they're dark, and that's your front door, but your back porch has the patio open space, and you have a fenced-in backyard, right? So you can hide all the things in your life that you don't want anybody to know about. It's true. Our culture is kind of, you know, mended to this and, and kind of leaned into this. And again, guilt is the motivator. And so here's what you have to do. This is going to help you on, if you say, well... Am I dependent? Am I not dependent? How do, you, how do you get free from that? Well, you have to stop striving for your family's version of you. Stop trying to be who they want you to be. That's not who God created you to be. God wasn't sitting in heaven, and I'm imagining this. God wasn't sitting in heaven and saying, you know what? I need to create another person in their family uh, for the benefit of their family. And so he goes to the mom and dad, hey, what kind of child would you like for me to create for you? That is not how that works. I'm being ultra facetious here. But what God did is he created you for what? For a purpose and for an intention and for a mission. And God, so what we have to stop doing is we have to stop trying to see how can I please my family of origin and say how can I honor God? Because listen, if your family of origin is pursuing Jesus, and you're pursuing Jesus, guess what that means? You're on the same path, right? You're on the same path. That we ought to have the same mission. 
And so you've got to stop trying to be who they want you to be and start focusing on becoming who God wants you to be. God specifically and individually made you to be you. And so there are two very simple ways that you can break this cycle of dependence. Two very simple ways. The first way is there has to be distance. There has to be distance. You know, a lot of times you hear of families cohabitating together. So, you know, they live with their parents or, you know, they move in together, whatever the situation is. Uh, It is a unicorn if those situations work out. It just is. I mean, you can name on one hand how many people can successfully do that. It just doesn't work. I mean, it would be great if it did, but it doesn't. And so there has to be some distance. that You have to create some space for you to live your life the way that God created you, with the spouse that God created you to live with, and and the family, and the situation, and the neighborhood that God created you. You have to create some space. There has to be some distance, some separation. And the way that you do that is that you create boundaries. There has to be boundaries in your life. That there are certain things that you do in your life that, are, that you establish for you and your family. What did Joshua say? For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The leader of the nation of Israel said, you can do what you want to do. This is what I'm doing for my family. Now, the word was for the entire nation, but Joshua said, here's what I choose to do. He said, you choose this day who you will serve. For me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And so Joshua set boundaries for his family, and he said, this is what we are going to do. And unfortunately, uh, for some people, not everybody in your family, uh, for a lot of people, maybe even most, that not everybody in your family is saved. So guess what that means? They're going to be hurtful. They're going to say things that they shouldn't say. They're going to injure you. They're going to do things that they shouldn't do. And so what do you have to do? You have to set healthy boundaries in your life to make sure that you protect what God is working on in your life. Now, there's a book in our library. If you haven't read it, it's called Writing on the Front. Uh, it's called Bound by Henry Cloud. Uh, it's got black and, white writing, uh, black and red writing on the front. Uh, it's called Boundaries. Fantastic book on how to establish healthy boundaries in relationships. Fantastic book. It will transform your relationships if you read that book. It's called Boundaries. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud. So you have to establish these boundaries in your life to help you to figure out the wills and will nots. Okay? So what's happened in a lot of families is people get married, and they just kind of flow into life, and they never establish boundaries. And they never have the do's and the do nots. Here's what we will do. Here's what we won't do. Here's the things that we want to pursue. Here's the things that we're not going to pursue. There's a lot of good things in your life that are getting in the way of the, thing, the great things that God has in store for you. And it is because you have no boundaries. You let anybody in to injure you. You let anybody in to damage you. You lock your house at night. So why would you not emotionally set boundaries, Right? So you have to have these boundaries. So the way that you break dependence, number one is distance. Number two is community. And this is equally as important. Community. So to break the cycle of dependence, you have to have other options. There's got to be godly people in your life that God is using to grow you and to challenge you that 
you are not still linking back to your family of origin. Now, I'm not saying completely do away with your family of origin. We're talking about unhealthy scenarios here, okay? I mean, there's a lot of godly families in our church that have grown up together, that uh, they've got godly parents, they've become godly adults, and that it's a beautiful relationship. That's how God intended. We'll talk about that at the end. But we're talking about unhealthy relationships. So how do you, how do you break that cycle of dependence? Well, community. You have to have community in your life. And here's how that works. You have to replace the unhealthy version of your family with the healthy version. All right, so you say, well, what does that look like? Well, you need to find someone in your life. You need to pray. You need to get involved in community. You need to find some, So let's say that you've got an abusive father figure in your life, okay? Well, guess what? There's a lot of godly men in this church. There's a lot of men that love Jesus that exemplify what it means to be a godly father. And so you know what? They could be to you. They could be a father figure to you. A healthy version of what God intends for you to have in your life. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Uh, maybe, you know, you say, well, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I never had a brother or sister. Or I've got unhealthy brothers or sisters. Well, what do you do? Well, God's going to put friends in your life. Because the Bible says what? A friend stick closer, closer than a brother, right? And so God's going to put friends in your life that will give you the healthy version of that unhealthy relationship. Does that make sense? That is huge for a lot of people. That is going to be so helpful that you say, okay, I'm not going to fix, because that's not my job, I'm not going to fix those unhealthy versions of those people. And so I'm going to pray that God would put healthy versions of those relationships in my life. So in community, number one, replace the unhealthy version with the healthy version. And then why does that work? Why is that so helpful? Well, because, number two, when you don't need from them what they're incapable of giving, it changes the relationship. So let's say, let's use acceptance for an example. Let's say that you have a parent that you've always wanted acceptance from. Well, how does that work? How do you deal with that? Well, you say, well, I've always, you know, I've tried different ways. I've done different things to be accepted by them. And they know that you strive for that. And so they withhold it, right? They use it against you. And they withhold it. But you're always trying to get it. And so you just keep trying. And you keep trying. And you keep trying. And you never get it. But you never stop trying, right? Because that's mom or that's dad or, you know, that's grandma. And so I want to I get I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be, uh, you know, part of the circle. And so I'm just going to keep striving and keep trying and keep trying. And then, again, in the unhealthy scenarios, they know that, and so they're using, they're leveraging their approval against you. But when you're not seeking their approval, it changes everything, right? You no longer have the power. What you've done is you have removed the power from them. You say, you know what? I don't need your acceptance. You may not even, this may not even be uh, verbalized, but you come to a place in your heart to where you say, your acceptance is not the goal of my life. The, the goal of my life is that I have been accepted by Jesus regardless of who I am. And that Jesus loves me regardless of what I've done. And that my relationship with Jesus is not performance-based. And so when I have relationships that are performance-based, and that can always be used against me. But when I go to you and I say, you know what? I don't need your approval anymore. 
it completely changes the dynamic of the relationship. Because all of a sudden, they've lost power. And they don't have the ability to damage you anymore because they don't have the power to damage you. And so what I've done is I've taken away from them something that they were never capable of ever giving me. Giving me. And so it, it changes the dynamic by saying, okay, well, you've injured me in the past. I've removed your power. Now, one of the ways you can remove the power is to stop seeking it. Number two is to set the boundaries to say, well, you know, you can only come this far in my life, and I'm not going to allow you close enough to damage me anymore. And so what happens then is the power has been removed. I've seen this work in many, many, many situations, is that when you remove the power from that scenario, it changes everything. And so we have in, in, uh, independence where we isolate and, you know, suppress. We have total dependence where we completely and totally uh, depend upon, well, the healthy version of us is in the middle, okay? It's interdependence, interdependence, where we're in the middle, that we recognize that we acknowledge the things that happened in our past, good, bad, or indifferent, that we acknowledge that. And so the voices of our past no longer haunt us. But we also know that God gave them to us, Right? That these people are alive for a reason. And so the ones that are pursuing Jesus, we can pursue Jesus together. You see, some things from our family of origin is a gift. There's things that you learned as a child that you'll never forget. There's foundational uh, relationship advice that you learn. There's uh, behavioral things that we all learn. And these things are to be cherished and to be built upon and to be used to move us forward, to propel us forward. So we can't say everything was bad. Well, no. You know, Joseph looked at his childhood and the time away that he spent in slavery and that, you know, he was away from his kids, I mean, from his brothers and his family. But then at the end, he looked back at his life and he said, you know what? It's okay. What was meant for evil against me, God used it for good. So everything in our life can be used for good. So take the good parts of your, your family of origin. Cherish those things. God put you in that family for a reason. Whatever your last name is, it was intentional. God put you in that family. Now, some things you may have to rebuild. There may be some character traits. There may be some bad habits. There may be some things that you don't need to carry into adulthood. There may be some things relationally that you don't need to repeat in your life. So we need to live. We need to say, okay, we're going to take the good we're going to leave the bad, and we're going to live somewhere in the middle. And so what that looks like is you can, you can take your family history, and you can say, my family history doesn't define who I am because it's simply a part of who I am becoming. Right? So you can take the good, the bad, all the things that happened in our family of origin, and we can say, okay, well, that's not, that doesn't define me. That's not who I am. That is a part of who God is making me to be. Each of us are unique, uh, different personalities, and we're affected uh, different ways, but we're not really permanently affected by our childhood. Because what happens is, as our souls awaken, if you will, uh, we begin to sift through all the things that we learned growing up, and we can keep the positive traits that we learn, and we can let go of some of the negative things. And so as we, we talk about this independence and this dependence issue, uh, I want to close here for our last few minutes with this. 
is that family is a gift. Family is a gift. Husbands, wives, those are gifts, right? Families are gifts. We talked about Sarah, and that was, you know, the lifelong dream of of a family then was, hey, let's get married, let's have kids, let's have a family together. So families are a gift from God. Exodus 121 says, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. So he blessed them with that, right? So it's an honor that uh, somehow relationally two people can become one. That's a miracle, right? I don't know how God does that, but he does it. And so God puts us together, and then he blesses us with families. You see, God's design for you and for me was that we would be raised in a family that loved him and that exemplified what living for Jesus looks like. And so remember, it is not who we are, but it is who we are becoming. And so what does that mean for you? That means that wherever you're at today, if your children are grown and gone, or if your children are brand new newborn, or what, somewhere in between, if your parents are still living, or if your parents are no longer living, wherever you may find yourself, today you can say, just like Joshua said, from this day forward, here's what we're going to do. We're going to establish healthy boundaries. We're going to love each other how Jesus loves us. We're going to live, we're going to strive to be, uh, to live our lives for Jesus so that we would impact other people. So we're going to teach those, we're going to influence those around us to pursue Jesus. Unfortunately, not everybody's experience was a life that grew up pursuing Jesus, right? That's just, unfortunately, the experience that some people had. So what happens is we grow up carrying all this baggage both consciously and subconsciously. And then, you know, we have this loyalty issue. And we say, well, you know, I, I, my parents are still living, and so this unhealthy relationship, you know, the Bible says, Exodus twenty 12, I'm supposed to honor my father and honor my mother that my days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So what if they're unhealthy? What if it's a situation to where they're not pursuing Jesus? Well, remember, this is something people often struggle with to live in light of. Oh, well, you know, I have to honor them even if it's unhealthy. Well, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to honor our father and our mother, right? That we're supposed to honor our heritage, uh, the, the people that have come before us, our family of origin, if you will. But that is in light of what? In light of pursuing God, right? That's in Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments were given from Mount Sinai. So that is in light of pursuing Jesus. And so in our own lives we say, all right, well, I should honor those that God has put in authority over me. Absolutely. But it is in what? It is in pursuit of following Jesus. You shouldn't simply do what pleases them uh, or what they tell you to do just because they're in, posi- in that position of authority in your life, in the family of origin. How do we know that? Okay? You say, well, is that opinion? Well, let's look. So Luke chapter 8, uh, the Bible says, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, which is Jesus, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. And lo- listen to what Jesus said. Jesus answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. That's who your family is. See, your family is those who are pursuing Jesus. Right? And and hopefully, that's your family of origin. 
Hopefully there are people in your life that, that are from your family of origin that are pursuing Jesus and you're doing that together. But the good news is Jesus tells us here that, look, unfortunately there's going to be people in your family that aren't pursuing Jesus. So who is my family? Well, family is the family that God places you in. You know, I grew up singing, I'm so glad I'm a part of what? The family of God. You sung that song before? Right, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And so what God does is he grafts us in to his family. And so as children of God, we have been adopted into God's family. So if you had an unhealthy family situation, God can redeem that. God can use that. So we need to look forward and say, you know what? It it wasn't my idea. It wasn't Mayberry, okay? But you know what it was? It was my life. And that's what happened. And that's how I grew up and that's how I lived. But I am now a child of God. I've been adopted into God's family. I'm no longer a slave to the sinful tendencies or the behaviors from my past that drag me down. Right? There's people here. There are so many godly people in our church that are great examples of godly fathers, that are great examples of godly grandparents, that are great examples of godly brothers and sisters in Christ. There is an abundance of opportunity for you to use the healthy, for God to, uh, to replace the healthy version of those unhealthy relationships in your life. But the only way that takes place is for you to press into community. You have to press into community. And so we have an opportunity moving forward to raise our families in pursuit of Jesus, that we don't have to be haunted by the voices of our family from the past. Because in God's family, we are known, we are valued, and we are loved. So I know Pastor Tony says this a lot. I think it's very helpful uh, for us to know. Uh, But God loves you. And what oftentimes Pastor Tony says is, I love you. That this is our family. Everything in my life revolves around relationships in this body of believers. Okay? I have family. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that they're not my family. I'm just saying that God has put me in this family, in this zip code, 15053 John Clark Road, right? God put us here. And God put us together. And so I want to encourage you, press in. Love each other deeper. Share the stories of your past. Learn the heritage and the family of origin that each of us experience. Because the good news is, that's not a shame story. You can tell anything that happened in your past, horrifically terrible, fantastically good, and we're not going to say, I wish that was me, or you know, I can't believe that was you. You know what we're going to say? Wow, look what God did with that. Look how God used that in your life. Look how God's encouraging you with that. Look how God brought you from that. Whatever the story may be, Jesus is the hero of the story. It's not those things that were perpetrated against us that were bad or those things that were fantastic, that we lived in Disney World all of our life. Right? That's not reality. The reality is we all come through life with bumps and scars and bruises. But Jesus is the hero of the story. And so find someone in your sphere of influence that's close to you and say, hey, I'm following Jesus. Are you following Jesus? Can we be brothers? Can we be sisters? Can, can, can I learn things from you? Will you be a father? You know, can, I, can I learn what a good father figure looks like? Will you teach me how to be a good grandfather? 
There's so many stories of redemption in this body of believers where God's taken 60, 70, 80-year-old men and saved them and they have redeemed the last part of their life. Or or men who did things that they should have never done early on and and God saved them and he's redeeming the rest of their life. That families have been restored, uh, that relationships have been uh, fixed, they've been mended because of what? Because we stop looking at the past and we say, God can use that. God can work through that. But we're looking to the future, to where Jesus is taking us. And so I want to encourage you that there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain from family. You can get injured real bad, real quick. You don't have to take that. Okay? You don't have to stand there like a punching bag and take that. You need to get context. Okay? So maybe there's some things that you need to work through. Maybe there's some relationships that you've got to go back and mend. You need people in your life to say, that's not healthy. Or here's what you should do. Or here's how I work through that. There, you would not believe the stories of relational difficulties that people have worked through uh, that God has used to redeem. And so there is help. There are resources. God doesn't intend for you to stay in that and just say, well, that's how it is because they're family. You're settling is what you're doing. Don't settle for God's best for your life. Amen? Hopefully this was helpful. Let's pray tonight and ask God to be with us as we leave here. God, we love you. God.